We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And boy, did the Lakers give us a day to sit with for a couple of days. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Lakers brought us in right with a remarkable Friday night. It started actually with Anthony Davis addressing the media and providing an update. We'll get into the details of that later. And then LeBron James... On his 38th birthday, scores 47 points, 10 boards, and 9 assists to lead an incredibly fun game to get a win in Atlanta, one of my favorite road cities for the Lakers. Uh, Lakers always play fun games in Atlanta. And just a, a masterful performance by LeBron. Also, if the Lakers win tonight, they're closing out a five-game road trip. If they win tonight at Charlotte, they will have gone three and two on that road trip. If you extend that out even further, and if you count that first game with Denver, which I do because the Lakers were down when AD went out, the Lakers are currently four and five since AD went out. And so if we win tonight, we get to the 500 mark. All of this is just a lot of landmarks and a lot to talk about within that. Also, D, within the specifics of the game, it was probably the most conventionally sized lineups the Lakers played all season and so just I don't know that was one of those landmark games during the season D and I'd I'd love to hear what you thought about Friday I mean first off just thinking about LeBron really I brought him up in my game preview for the Hornets game and it wasn't just the Atlanta game right And, and so I think that we we often talk about LeBron And we give him his just due, I think, and we appreciate him for what he's accomplishing in his 20th season and 38 years old and everything else. But I think that we often do that within the context of like his great games or some masterful moment that he was able to achieve. But I went back and I looked at his December and 32 points a game on 54% shooting, seven assists almost eight rebounds a game, just playing at an unreal level, really. And in the 14 games LeBron played in December, the Lakers are seven and seven. 
they have not played as well since AD went out. But to your point, Pete, they've been treading water in a way that probably wouldn't be expected when you consider just everything and the totality of things, right? I certainly wasn't expecting it, especially after uh, a couple of the games in, in the middle of that with the Dallas game and Sacramento and all that. Yeah. And so when I think about everything that's going on and what to take away, it's still very much LeBron focused to me. And and I know I don't have to twist your arm to focus too much on LeBron James. And so is that your main takeaway as well? Or are you looking at this more holistically in terms of some of the stuff that P brought up too with um, JTA's return and more conventionally sized lineups and how TB is playing and, and on and on and on. Well, the, the last part there, Darius, that you just listed, that's, I think those are the minor kind of key points and the things that might be able to sustain the Lakers as they move forward a little bit here. But of course the main takeaway is just LeBron. And the main question with the main takeaway is how does he keep this up? Like this level of dominance, this level of control on the game, mentally being locked in, uh, even with AD going out, which I think was, there was part of the concern, with especially without knowing when he was going to come back in, is if how the team spirit could maintain. And I think that was part of what what we were referring to in those couple of bad losses that they had. Um, even though, of course, they were they were certainly in both of those games, but just from the deflating standpoint of how deflating those losses were and LeBron was just bouncing uh, around coming in, in this Atlanta game and you know Miami game was a little bit different uh, they the way that that game went that was a back-to-back and we had talked about the it wasn't that surprising with how they play pressure defense and that that to me was not was not an effort thing that was just sort mm-hmm. of a all right you know they they've got their fastball tonight and it's going to be tough that, that the game that happens in the NBA a lot yeah. but all things being equal, and maybe we can expect some of that same thing tonight uh, from LeBron, is that he's just kind of, all right, yep, I know that it's age 38. I just turned 38, but I got you guys. I can I can do enough of this. Barring uh, the occasional, you know, transition defense possession or the things that, you, that we've talked about for a couple of years now that you have to excuse uh, from somebody who's doing this much on offense and or like, you know, Jalen Johnson leaking in on the baseline for offensive rebounds that like LeBron has in his head, in his massive basketball computer, he has figured out the times where he can rest a little bit. And it, it reminds me some of watching Messi in the World Cup, where sometimes I think soccer fans that don't that haven't seen him a lot will look and be like, well, hold on, he's walking for a couple for like a minute right there. And I say, yeah, he's but he's he's doing it for a reason. He's setting up the next attack, essentially, and he's sucking the defense into a certain part of the field. And yeah, he might let one guy run by him, but watch what he does when he gets the ball and when Argentina thrusts forward uh, and essentially wins the game. And so LeBron may have a couple moments of walking, but for the most part, part he's just figuring out ways to completely dissect a team. I think my favorite play and probably many people's in the arena, and to echo Pete's point, Atlanta's one of my favorite places too. There's There's always a, it's always a lively vibe there and LeBron likes to bring that out. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Laker fans there in the South and um, Atlanta is a very transient city. And, and, and so it's, it's always, it, that part is always fun, but LeBron goes up for a layup and it comes out and he just very quickly, essentially bodies two Hawks out of the way, gets the offensive rebound and puts it back. And then, you know, he goes on the ground and he flexes and just those kind of moments that we're still getting those from him at this stage of his career. And it is leading directly to victories um, is pretty special. And And I'll save the, 
how long can they do this thing for later? And then let and just react to that for now. So, yeah, it was just a special performance by him. And when you were talking about that idea of when to rest, I think he has a mastery of when to fill in the blank on whatever basketball wise rest being one of those things that allows him to put up the numbers that Darius was talking about earlier. And so that like when to cut when he's really been eating in transition. And that's something that it sounds counterintuitive that like, Oh, LeBron running at age 38 and year 20 is better for his body, but it's like, it's lower stress than the, okay, we're five on five and you got to beat the guy across from you off of the dribble with an explosive move. Right. LeBron has just a great mastery of, Hey, there's a great opportunity right here. If I just cut, if I just do this, do that, if I fill a lane, he knows when to leak out. He knows when to jump that passing lane a split second before anyone else. And so there's a level of mental mastery over the game, D, that LeBron leverages in a lot of these games to just get easy opportunities. I also have really liked the progress that him and Russ have made as a pairing. And I think that they've started to really establish an identity with Anthony Davis out. So I think I think just who LeBron is and his understanding of the game also combined with just a little bit of greater familiarity between two players that did not naturally fit together. I think those are working really well in tandem. Yeah. I think that we could look at LeBron and say a bunch of things that are working well for him, right? Like I rattled off the stats. You don't get to those numbers without doing so many things. Right. I also think, an important part that's happened since AD went out and I, and it's taken a little bit of time to get back to this, but LeBron has become more perimeter LeBron again. Mm -hmm. And so he is handling the ball a lot more. He is initiating more offense. Now he's not doing it on every play. There are going to be times where Pat Bev is bringing the ball up and you're like, what's going on, but he is commandeering more possessions and doing it at the beginning of a possession rather than in the middle mm -hmm. or at the end. And I think the Lakers need that from him. They need the diversity of ball handlers as well. Like LeBron's a different type of ball handler than Austin Reeves and a different type of ball handler than Dennis Schroeder and from Russell Westbrook. And the fact that the Lakers have this diversity of options and one of them is LeBron James. I think that that's also helpful in terms of the different looks that they can give an offense and how they're initiating and how LeBron can position himself on different parts of the floor in order to exploit different types of defenses in ways where he is able to pile up those stats. Right. And, and so there's a lot going on when it comes to LeBron's um, offensive production, but the Lakers have needed all of that production, Mike, like, they they need LeBron to be at this superstar level in order to just compete, not to win games, just to compete. And I think that is allowing and I think promoting a certain amount of engagement from LeBron. But let's not fool ourselves either. Like LeBron's not out here to compete and take home a moral victory while he puts up 35 points or something. Like I thought his walk-off line with you, or I'm sorry, not his walk-off line, but it was his line in the post-game presser where you had asked him about 
like, hey, because uh, Dennis sort of crashed the party for a second and your walk off him was saying like, hey, you said you were going to get this 40 and you went out and did it. And so you asked him about it after. And- can, can we talk about Dennis real quick? Like Dennis always be putting out LeBron's conversations out in public. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, what did LeBron tell you? Because I think. That's informative of like where his mindset is too. It's just like, okay, well, I'm going to have to do this. And like, I figured I would try to do this because the other thing hasn't been working, right? So so I thought it was just a funny little anecdote that that he shared with you. But I think it's also indicative of where his mindset is and what's needed of him. And like, it's that push and pull that I think is going to be interesting until AD gets back. And I know we'll talk a little bit about AD later. Yeah, <laughs> The exact quote was, "I've been I've been scoring thirty and it hasn't worked, so I'm going to try forty. Uh, was but to Pete's point about Dennis, it's like everybody knows not to put LeBron's business out there in just in any context, you know, because he's LeBron James. But some you, part of that has just yeah. gotten lost in translation with Dennis, who who had said the other thing about the he told me he was wasn't going to retire for seven years and. Uh, which McMenamin asked him about and, right. and the way that LeBron answered it, it was like, it could have been true, but it, it probably was tongue in cheek. And maybe that got lost in translate, I, but whatever, Dennis just pops in same thing in the walk-off. Usually, you know, people, there's kind of like a hierarchy to walk-offs too. If LeBron wants to pop into anybody's walk-off, it's like, totally of course, acceptable and, yeah. and like it. but typically guys don't just pop into his unless they're, unless it's like AD you know, or or Darvin, Darvin earlier type player. Yeah, Darvin yeah. did the well, one uh, in that, Milwaukee. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Darvin, that doesn't happen ever either. Coaches never do that. But I think that's that kind of goes to the point of Darvin's just genuine excitement in his first year. Um, but I don't know. I, the fact that guys can feel like they can do that, and Dennis can, I, I do think speaks kindly to how LeBron is is approaching this. And he's tr- there's a part of him that seems to be even amidst the struggles, uh, trying to appreciate it. And trying to kind of find moments of levity within the season, so yeah, that was that was definitely a. It was funny enough where I felt like, all right, let's see, if I got to follow up on this because I, it's hard to follow up on it directly in the walk off, but I had to get to his mom and, and his wife and stuff. But um, yeah, we got to it in the post game. Yeah, that was good stuff and a, a fun night. Um, let's take an early break here. Come back, talk about some of the things that we've just seen over the course of this road trip uh, as they're about to close it out tonight. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
Pete, in talking about things across the road trip, I did want to get back to some of those like ancillary topics that have contributed to the Lakers being two and two coming into this fifth game. And these are small things, but on a team with such a small margin for error, small things can add up. And so talk to me about what you've seen from JTA's return. So JTA hadn't played in a while. He'd been dealing with a bum ankle. And then Mike, I think Darvin said that he had had some sort of setback in his ramp up and that kept him out a little bit longer, but he finally did, did come back. He played his first shift against the heat. And we talked about that the other day, but then he had another, I thought really productive shift or game really against the Hawks. He made all three of his shots. One of them was a three pointer and he is just another sort of athletic, forward-sized guy. And I want to kick it to you, Pete, not only the context of JTA's play, but his pairing with Troy Brown on the perimeter because the Mm -hmm. Lakers did something interesting. And you talked about it in terms of the conventional size lineups that, that they were using. And JTA and Brown playing together, I thought was a key part of that. And so just talk to me about that because I think it's an important thing to as a look that the team needs. Yeah, it was very gratifying to see what we've been clamoring for for a minute, like work. And so, for example, Troy Brown in those lineups was playing at the two. We got some Troy Brown at the two minutes. And uh, that's seared in my mind, Mike, when we were introducing them in the intro press conferences. You had this template question that you were asking everyone about just their defensive role, what they like to do on defense. And the very first thing Troy Brown said is, I like to guard smaller guys. I like to guard guys who are smaller than me. And so in looking at the roster, which was not fully formed at the time, I was like, hmm. I don't know if he's going to get that many opportunities just because we have so many guards. And then we add more guards after that. And so there have been a lot of lineups where Troy Brown is at the four. And that's not what Troy Brown does, because even at 6'6", right, there are some guys. I mean, him and JTA are basically the same height, but they have totally different games. And so JTA at the four, especially in a small ball type of group, that's what he does. He provides that athleticism and physicality and just sort of zest for I'm going to go freaking get the ball. And if you've noticed, we've got several front front court players this year that kind of have that attribute to them with TB, Wenyan, and now JTA. But JTA is the one that's really the forward of the bunch. And so Lonnie was out on Friday night. And so I'm very curious what we do when we've got everybody. Um, Austin was bad in two straight games. Very much looks like he's got dead legs. And so... He didn't play as many minutes as maybe he will on some nights. But, Mike, that was one thing that I really noticed was JTA is the guy that we've been talking about how a a forward would help. And he is a forward. That's what he does. And a lot of the physicality and that, like, mentality, I'm going to guard all five positions, that how a player sees themselves, just as Troy Brown mentioned to you, is super important in what they can do and how they fit into just a broader scope of things. And so, to me, the move from, like, uh, sometimes Troy Brown plays the four spot to some sometimes Troy Brown plays the two spot, I think just really locks a lot of things into place. And we saw that versus Atlanta. No doubt. Uh, let's focus on that. I, I want to get a quick mention in the another thing that's helping is that Patrick Beverly has been shooting the basketball um, mm. fine for a while now. He's 41 percent from three in December. And it just seems like something that we we haven't gone over much. And so when yeah. he's doing that, that at least lets them. That lets them live a little better on offense, can't help often quite as much. And 
and all that. But but I, I agree that JTA is kind of the, the bigger thing that could, on top of that, like on top of having some consistency there. But what do the Lakers do now? He just mentioned that Lonnie Walker was out, and I think he's still questionable the last time that I had checked um, as we record this for the game in Charlotte. But so JTA was playing early in the season. Um, not it, it wasn't that many games, but the Lakers were still just throwing stuff out there and trying to see what fits. And mm-hmm. now that they have a certain style that they're playing with, and JTA can go out and his role is pretty clear, and the types of things that he can do are needed. That it mm-hmm. that's the part to me that just fits really well and is working. But now you have to get so the minutes that he's playing, and I do think that they're going to go up. Where are they going to come from? And it's got to be from some of the guards. It's got to be from certainly from some of the smaller guards. And then that's where you that's where you essentially get a position swap. But mm-hmm. so Austin, who is who had been playing great for basically a full month, had two straight rough games. Pete mentioned it, twenty six minutes, and then you have Lonnie Walker not playing at all. So JTA then was able to play fifteen minutes off the bench. I even think that number could go up some. But even if it stays there, you know that means that somebody else's minutes have to be cut way down. Um, whether that's like the so Schroeder played 32 minutes and he played. In fact, I think Schroeder actually played the most minutes in Miami. He might have played like 34, 35. And and so that's that to me, Darius. Let me just kick that over to you um, where if you, you're going to have more JTA and you're going to have some more of these bigger sized or at least normally sized lineups, who is the guard that's going to get his minutes cut the most? Beverly. I'm glad that you shouted him out for shooting the ball better because for me personally, I've been so hard on Pat Bev that it's just like, I want to give him all of the credit in the world for shooting the ball well. And I think I've always maintained that his attitude and his mentality and just his general approach to things is super helpful for this Lakers team. I also think that if Beverly is an 18, like a 15 to 18, like a two shift player, basically, that that would totally be fine. And then in sticking with Beverly, I just think that he's the guy who is masquerading as a wing. So if you're actually going to play a wing, then yes. it's going to have to come at the expense of the guy who's masquerading as one. And so, and that may also be a little bit of Austin's minutes too. Like Pete, we've talked about this a bunch with Austin, but when he strings together these 30 minute nights, night after night, after night, after night, then sooner or later that catches up with him. And he's playing against better athletes every night. Every night he's going up against dudes who are more athletically gifted than him. And I think over time that wears him down a little bit. And and so cobbling together 15 minutes for JTA, like, I think that that's fine. I don't expect JTA to be a 20 minute a night player. Do you? I I don't. To me, he's a two shift guy in the the LeBron led groups off of the bench kind of to start the second and fourth quarter um, and those those smaller type of groups. But like with with Bev, I, I'm glad you brought up the point that it's like he's masquerading as a forward. Like you're not necessarily asking a question between JTA and Bev. You're asking a question between JTA and Bev at the three, which is what we're doing. Yes. To me, though, the fact that Lonnie was out, like what does Lonnie do well aside from score? And you know what I'm saying? Like, how does he assert himself on the game? Now, that's important. Don't get me wrong. But in terms yeah. of like Bev has more of a he has more of a meat and potatoes type of game where like if we were asking Bev to play the two and asking a different person to play the three and Lonnie 
you know, ran like hell with the rust unit, Mike, that to me is, is something worth exploring. But the fact that Lonnie missed that game and we looked so that we looked so, so good defensively. Uh, I don't know. It's, it stood out to me. Well, that was how I was going to answer my own question. I think that it, it's, but it's, it's both. It's, it's Darius's initial answer. That's part of it. Cause Beverly for a couple of games had been playing, you know, anywhere from 32 to 35 minutes, which is just too much mm-hmm. for him. But I think that you can, in in spirit of staying bigger and being better defensively, then when you can have JTA um, at at the three or or Troy Brown in there, like wh- whatever combination of that unit is, and by the way, more Wenyan. Um, I think we always enjoy having more Wenyan. Then <laughs> then you can have Beverly at the one or the two um, defensively, and then that means that Lonnie is not going to play as much. And if Lonnie starts to recommit defensively. And get himself going again, which he want, which he said that he wants to. I think that he's been trying to figure out, well, do I need to score more certain games without AD? And it's he's been somebody who's gone back and forth a little bit um, as to especially what he needs to focus on. And and I think that the answer is defense. And then when you get when you get the chance for offense, great. But to me, he's part of that as well. And it's and it's this is kind of what we've seen for the last several years where there's an element of riding a hot hand uh, within the context of a game, as long as you have enough of the shell defensively. Mm-hmm. And so some nights it might be Walker, some nights it might be shooter, some nights it might be Beverly, but it's, I, I just don't want to sacrifice the bigger minutes, which come from JTA uh, from Gabriel from Brown. If those are, if that's going to be the trio off the bench, then those guys are going to need to have their shifts guaranteed a little bit. If you're going to continue to start with a smaller group, um, which is Beverly Schroeder uh, and Lonnie Walker. You both make excellent points about Lonnie and Pete. I think your idea about like, what does he do well besides scoring is, is an important one within the context of the Lakers. The Lakers have guys who can absorb some usage when Lonnie is not there where the Lakers don't have as much is where like, we don't have enough defense. And so no one else can really do it. Right. And so like, I look at Dennis and I look at Thomas Bryant and those are guys who can absorb some usage offensively, not as much TB. You're not going to throw him the ball in the post. He's not going to like, but he can scale up in terms of like, he can go from taking six shots a game to taking 10 shots a game. He can take 12 shots a game. If you're actually finding him and looking for him in ways, right? Like I mean, if he's, he's not our second pops with him. Yeah. If he's not our, our second leading scorer with AD out right now, it's, it's very close. He's been very productive. Yeah, and so him and Dennis, I think, they can sort of combo plate like Lonnie's shot attempts and like you can Mm -hmm. siphon some of those off to these other guys. And I do think it's important to find more workable lineups that account for both sides of the ball. And as Mike said, not necessarily offering this hierarchy of saying like, oh, well, you're guaranteed anything. Right. Because all of you guys are basically very similar players. And it may just be that, hey, tonight is Troy Brown's night. And that means, Lonnie, like you don't play as much. And I was actually I said this in the text thread, but I was just like, I don't think coach can go back to Austin this game. Like he's not playing well. He's not shooting well. He's not necessarily defending as well either. Like they can't go back to him like they need to play someone else here. And. Darvin, to his credit, did that. He stuck with JTA. He 
Like he played Troy Brown. He played that Dennis Russ backcourt combo and they just went in another direction. So talk to me about TB, about Dennis, about whichever direction that you want to go here. Pete. Yeah. In some ways that's a strength, right? Like if you have, if you have several guys that are fairly close, but you have to be good, right? You can't have a, bu- a bunch of guys that, that stink, but if you have a, a few guys that could close a game or could play in a particular lineup, that's a strength of a team, right? Because with your role players, you're never going to get all of them, or very rarely are you going to get all of them hot or playing well on the same night. But if you've got enough of them, it becomes a lot likelier that two of them are playing well. And one thing I've noticed with uh, with Dennis Schroeder in particular in context with this is Darwin's been playing him 30 minutes pretty consistently. And so I think he's like less in that like, oh, we'll see one night to the next. Or, you know, I, I think Darwin trusts him on He's closing almost level. every game, Pete. Exactly. He's, he's closing almost every game. Russ is not, but Dennis is. He is. And I think that that just speaks to a level of trust that Darvin has in him that, I don't know, I just wanted to point out in that I don't put him in the same, oh, do you have it tonight or not type of box? Because I, I don't think Darvin does. But the guy that I wanted to talk about real quick, you touched on a bit, D, was Thomas Bryant, man. How good has he been? Like his level of productivity offensively, there was a play in transition that ended in a, a a wing three from, I can't remember who, but he had, he had had a great rim run and there was an advance pass into the dunker spot that he caught. And in one motion, he kicks it back out for a spot up three. And it was just like a super clean look for a shooter in a shot pocket that just exhibits a level of understanding that TB has about how to play that I think is underrated within his game. Like he really knows when to do what that whole idea we were talking about with LeBron earlier. And that's one thing that I've seen Mike, that they have a a nice little chemistry going LeBron and TB. And I don't know, talk to me about what you've seen uh, up close from Thomas Bryant, because his ability to replace to a degree, just a little degree, his level of AD's level of production he had 17 defensive rebounds the other game. Like, I don't know. It, it's been really a godsend. I think it's the motor. That's the biggest thing that is needed uh, next to LeBron and next to somebody that's going to think the mm-hmm. whole game out. And you need some guys that are just going to good soldier it. And, you know, he really, I, I think it's his mentality. He doesn't take seconds off, really. He might make a mistake from time to time, mm-hmm. but he's always in his own it's head great. about being in the game. And if he makes a mistake, he's gonna he might hit himself in the head literally. Uh, so <laughs> he's he so really tortured. Cares. He's like, ah, yeah, he does. He does. He really does. And, and he, I mean, he even does this. <laughs> like, he's very specific about the things that he wants to do for his pregame prep. Like, there will be times that I'm gonna interview him for the pregame interview, and it it's really gotta fall within a certain window of time. And, and I think mm. that that's that's just because of where he's trying to get himself worked up to mentally. And like that's that the other time that you get that is more like a vet that just is sick of doing them and doesn't want to do them outside. And if you're not ready by this time and I'm saying this as a compliment, like he's just really locked in on where he needs to be and what he needs to do. And then this this doesn't hurt either. Four straight games of at least 80 percent from the field. Now, a couple of those were low usage, but it's four for five, eight for mm-hmm. ten, five for six, eight for ten. And so he's finishing the chances that he gets inside. And part of that is because he goes up strong. You know, he's not doing any little flip shot finger roll. Like he's trying to dunk it anytime Mm -hmm. that he's next to the rim. And that to me has been a nice formula for a team that's getting a defense that's getting broken down typically by LeBron and sometimes by a couple of other players. But that type of motor to me has been, uh, has been the biggest key for Brian's game. 
he is a motor player. I'm glad that you highlighted the finishing, Mike. A couple of seasons ago, I think it was the season before he hurt his knee, he was one of the league leaders in field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that was – the guy who does that is typically the Mitchell Robinson, DeAndre Jordan archetype of player, like the guy who catches a lot of lobs and just dunks almost all of the time. Now, TB gets his fair amount of dunks. He gets them in, in transition. And, cause, and like you said, Mike, he gets a lot of dunks because he tries to dunk a lot, right? But – He's also a dude where it's just like you throw him the ball at 15 feet and there's no hesitation. He's shooting that free throw line jumper and he's burying it. Right. And so there's he's got a lot of finishing craft. He's at it's funny that he shoots such a high percentage for a guy who doesn't have a lot of touch around the basket. Pete, like he shoots a flat ball. His jump hooks are fairly flat. Like there's a lot that like he's just buried him though like back rim and right through like so sure even it's like even his, like, threes, he, even his threes are kind of flat and they've been going in lately yeah he shoots a flat ball pete but it's just like so you look at a guy like Jokic, for example and he's shooting up these soft feathery parabola balls right it's just like <laughs> oh look at that like that's nice but and tb is is like he's line driving these shots in all around the basket but he he knows angles he knows how how to finish and he is taking the ball right up to to the rim and trying to hammer it home and and so there is a lot to like about what tb is doing and the lakers are doing their best to protect him defensively but offensively they need what he's doing i'm hopeful that we continue to see minutes where he can play more with Russ because him and Russ, I feel like have a very good chemistry. Like you highlighted the chemistry that he has with LeBron. LeBron's going to have chemistry with anyone who understands where to be on the court and can catch the ball and can finish, which is one of the reasons why he seemed to not have as much chemistry with like Damian Jones, for example, because Damian wasn't doing those things as he's just as late, well, but, yeah. but TB and Wenyan do. And then now even Beverly is like finding his way into screening roles and doing stuff that's on the short roll and hitting floaters. That's another thing that has opened up Pat Bev scoring, Mike. It's like he's doing more things than just standing in the corner and shooting threes. And the three ball has been going in more, but it's also this other stuff, too. But TB has great chemistry with Russ and that makes sense too, right? Because Russ is kind of similar to LeBron and how he threatens the basket, the types of passes that he can throw, and how Russ sees the game a certain way because he's been playing it the same way for the whole time that he's been in the league. And, and so I want to see that pairing a little bit more too. And we've gotten away from that a little bit when TB started to start rather than come off the bench. And, and so Darvin finding little ways in order to make these connections within games, I think is super important to helping the team stay afloat. Very much so. And I'm super curious that, knock on wood, uh, when AD comes back, what TB's role is, role is within the team, within that, and what Wenyan's role is, right? That's, and we've got JTA. It's a team that is, I think, sizing up by virtue of where their, their needs are and where their better players are. And it's going to be curious to see kind of where we go, uh, once AD comes back. Mike, what did we, uh, what did we learn on Friday night about Anthony Davis's injury? So a lot and also not much that we can do with, you know, it's like he really explained exactly what the injury is. And I posted the whole, if you want to just read it for yourself or you can watch part of the the video from Spectrum, but I did a transcript of it on Lakers.com. So go through and read it. He tells, he says exactly what's going on. And since you can get all the details there, I'll just say that he, he has to get 
additional MRIs, like additional imaging and see how it progresses in the next you know, couple of weeks. And then that will be something that's either actionable or not. Like has it, has the, and I won't even get into the terminology here because there's, there's a difference between stress fractures and fractures and stress reactions and reactions. And there's two, there's actually two different injuries within the foot. Um, but I think that the bottom line is once he gets it, once he gets it examined again, we'll know if there's any progress that that will lead him to like a more actionable timeline to return or if he can return at all. And so he was, you know, he was, AD's always in, in reasonably good spirits. He's just a good guy. Uh, he's, he's like always trying to be positive. Um, but, you know, he's also certainly upset uh, about the state of things given where he was at. And now he's out and there's uncertainty about his returning. So I'll just leave it at that. You can go and read the transcript if you want. Um, I, I was going to touch briefly on the Charlotte game, if we have time to do that. But my quick thought on the Charlotte game, this typically, when you look at a schedule, regardless of how good the team is, the fifth game out of five on the road is usually one that the home team is going to have a, a, an advantage of mentally or on mentally. And this particular one, I think, winds up actually being slightly more favorable to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. A, they've had two days between the previous game. B, in that game, they not only played well, but they had a lot of good energy coming out of, including from LeBron James, including Mm -hmm. from a similar part of the country that always gets up for the Lakers. Uh, There's going to be a lot of Laker fans in Charlotte tonight as well. There's going to be a lot of energy around that. And so I think that the Lakers can actually capitalize on that. And they just lost the tough game at home to Charlotte. So there's going to be a little bit of that fresh memory and a little bit less of the come out slow and oh, it's just Charlotte and like they're not that good. So I just all of the outside factors take out all the X's and O's, um, which which you guys could both do better than me. Um, I, I, I do think that this is this game. The Lakers have a chance to go above 500 on the trip and are rested enough mentally and physically to try to take advantage, even of a Charlotte team that's certainly better than their record now since they've had Hayward and, and uh, LaMelo Ball back. Yeah, so one of the things that's going to be interesting tonight too, Mike, is I thought that Kelly Oubre was actually a pretty important player for the Hornets the last game, and he's out with a hand injury this game. And so he shot terribly from three. He went one for six, but he shot like six for eight or something like that, or six for seven from the field, the like within two point range. And he had a pretty he he had a pretty good good game. One of the reasons why the Hornets can be a bit of a challenging matchup for the Lakers is they have a lot of perimeter size. And they still have some of that, of course. Lamelo's a big point guard. They've still got P.J. Washington Pete. They've still got Gordon Hayward. And those guys are going to give the Lakers a fair amount of issues. But not having that one extra guy and then yep. the Lakers being able to size up a little bit themselves like they have um, with JTA's return, I'm super interested in seeing that. A- another thing I brought up in um, in the game pre preview is I sort of – half expect half hope Austin to bounce back he had a similar two-game stretch in the road trip in the first part of December and then where he had back-to-back really poor games and then in Philly he he killed in Philly which Mm -hmm. was that third game and so I'm hoping that he bounces back and he had a pretty good game against Charlotte the last time too and so where are you at with with the Hornets game Pete I think it all sort of conspires a little bit for the Lakers to come out and play well but then it's just like we say all that and then what's going to happen right and so I don't want to jinx it the other way 
Look, it would be great for morale, I think, to get that last victory uh, on the road trip. Mike can speak to the difference in plane ride that uh, announcers always talk about a lot better than I can. But I just think that being able to go three and two on a road trip instead of two and three to be able to get to that. Hey, we're five and five without AD in this most recent stretch. Like, that's all right. That That's something that is uh, I would have absolutely signed up for that at the big uh, 10 games ago. Just there are a lot of things that, it, along with what Mike said, and just those those factors that played, like where it's like, let's go go out and get a win tonight. And I think it, I think it's important. The point about athleticism—that's a place where we can dip below a certain level and not to not be competitive with another team. And that's why guys like Daniel Gafford and PJ Washington and Kelly Oubre. So Oubre being out, JTA being in, that gap is bridged a little bit, you know. So I think that that's a an area that's going to be important tonight. Yeah, and just to close it out, Pete, when you talked about um, three and two versus two, two and three, we're always standings watching here on the Laker Film Film Room Pod podcast. The Lakers are now tied in the loss column with Minnesota, who is now at twenty one losses. Uh, OKC also also has twenty one losses, and the Jazz are down to twenty losses. Who are in, and the Jazz are, are in tenth, right? And and so as we continue to hope for um and we'll talk more about ad later but as we continue to hope for the lakers to tread water and win some games that are winnable games charlotte's nine and 20 something it's just right like, this is a game where the lakers are as good or better a basketball team over the long haul than what the hornets are and so go out there and get a win against a right. team that you can beat that that's the thing is we're in a stretch also where not every game that we play are we going to be able to beat that team like the Sacramento game or the Dallas game with the available talent that we had and the way that we matched up with that team, like versus how they played, we weren't going to beat them. So get the wins that you can get. And so tonight's one of those nights. We will be back tomorrow to talk about how it went. But until then, even the Central Laker Film Room Podcast, we'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Rebound is lining, three seconds left. That next to the winner, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.